Welcome to the college football one-stop shop, the Jack Talk CFB show. Man, what a crazy week it has been. Michigan blew out Ohio State, USC beat their toughest test yet, and we saw more chaos courtesy of Clemson, LSU, and Oregon. We'll do an overview of this year's coaching carousel, it's getting rolling, as well as checking on the Heisman standing. As always, our last stop will be for the can't-miss games of the week, but it's a conference championship week, baby. We'll go over all 10 games. A great show this week. Without further ado, let's get into it. So at number one, I actually have somebody new here, and that's Michigan. They beat the doors off of Ohio State without their number one player, Blake Corum. Michigan did take home the win in the game, and it was honestly a dominant performance. I don't really think many people expected such a dominant showing from one team because it really seemed like these teams were very evenly matched, although the styles were clashing. But no, it was the game was very similar to last year in a very close first half, and then the second half, Michigan just took over. Michigan's defense struggled a bit in the first half, but despite giving up some big yardage, they didn't give up the big plays. That's how you beat Ohio State. That's how they did it last year. Michigan only allowed three points in the second half. They had back to back interceptions on the last two Ohio State drives to seal the game. Blake Corum did have season-ending knee surgery, so his season is over, so it's very interesting for Michigan's CFP run here. We'll definitely talk about that more as the year goes on. Even without Corum, the Michigan offense still stole the show. J.J. McCarthy, who really hadn't done anything too wild throwing the ball this year, was taking the top off the Ohio State defense. They were playing tight man coverage. They were not going away from that, and he hit them for three very long touchdown passes, including which uh, the one that gave them the lead for good, which was a 45-yard touchdown and was his shortest touchdown of the day. JJ finished with four touchdowns total. Donovan Edwards, who, man, we'll be seeing a lot more of him over these last two weeks. He had 22 carries, 216 yards, and two touchdowns, both of those touchdowns being absolute jawbreakers for Ohio State. He's averaging 7.5 yards a carry this year, so we'll see if at a higher volume that stays. If Michigan is going to win a national title at this point, it's probably going to be Donovan Edwards' show. If he can be that number one back, it'll be very interesting to see if maybe J.J. McCarthy gets more throws than he usually does, or if maybe C.J. Stokes, the freshman, gets a lot more playing time than he does. I'd expect that. Obviously, they do have the Big Ten Championship against 8-4 and four Purdue, who did win the wild Big Ten West this year. But yeah, like I said, Ohio State did get a lot of yards. I mean, Stroud had 350 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Emeka Ibuka had 125 yards and a touchdown. Marvin Harrison Jr. had 120 yards and a touchdown. But Michigan just didn't let up the home runs that Ohio State did, and that was really the difference. So at number two, the first time I've had them in not the number one spot in quite some time, Georgia. I can't emphasize how close these teams are in my eyes, one and two. The only reason that I have Michigan above Georgia because they both have offenses that are not necessarily elite, but they're very good statistically. They have literally the number one and two defense in the country. I couldn't tell you who's one and who's two. The only reason I have Michigan above Georgia is because Michigan beat the doors off their biggest rival without their best player. And yes, Georgia did take care of business in their biggest games this year. I don't know if you take Stetson Bennett or if you take like a Jalen Card, if you take one of their best players, I don't know if you still see them beat the number two team in the country by 22 points. But 
I'm really splitting hairs here. I can't emphasize enough how much these are 1A and 1B. As long as you have Georgia or Michigan at one, your opinion is correct. So Georgia did beat Georgia Tech 37 to 14. Georgia Tech did have a brief 7-0 lead, so shout out to them, but it didn't last long. Kenny McIntosh had a big day with 182 total yards and a rushing touchdown. Georgia is in the SEC championship against number 14 LSU. We'll talk more about that game later. At number three, I do have TCU. Yes, the Horned Frogs themselves move up a spot after Ohio State loses. They beat the doors off of Iowa State 62-14. to It was a very easy one for them. Finally, they don't have a game go down to the wire. Probably a very welcome sight for Horned Frog fans. They have the Big 12 championship coming up against number 10 Kansas State. We will talk more about that game later. At number four, USC. Let's clap it up for them because I picked against them. I picked against Caleb Williams. I thought this was the time where their defense would be exposed, and instead I was exposed because Caleb Williams doesn't care how good your defense is. He's still going to lead his team to a win. Caleb Williams didn't light up the stat sheet necessarily, but he was incredible, man. 18 of 22, 213 yards, a passing touchdown, and three rushing touchdowns to go along with it. He just does what it takes to win the game. Anytime you watch Caleb Williams, it's just so clear that he is a star in the making. I mean, Caleb Williams is absolutely seasoned the Heisman race between his performances against Notre Dame and UCLA. And then when you combine the fact that Blake Corum is now out for the year, other guys that have been in his way, like Hendon Hooker out for the year, obviously CJ Stroud's candidacy took a bit of a hit after that loss. So yeah, it wasn't a particularly close contest. The second quarter, USC had a 10-point lead at minimum for the rest of the way. I can't emphasize enough how impressive of a performance that was from Caleb Williams. 18 of 22, slicing apart a very good Notre Dame defense. And that gives me a lot of confidence for USC going into the Pac-12 championship and potentially the CFP, knowing that they can actually move the ball against these elite level defenses. Obviously, a lot more needs to go down for that. They have number 11 Utah in the Pac-12 championship coming up. We will talk about that later. So at number five, the first team out of the playoff, I do have Ohio State. I do have Ohio State behind USC because honestly, when you compare their losses at this point, 22 point loss to your rival versus a one point loss on the road. See why I have USC at four and Ohio State at five. Nevertheless, this is a very good team. They're going to need some help to get into the playoff. There's differing opinions on who ha- and who would be at number six, but no matter who you have at number six, they have two losses. So Ohio State does have that edge over whoever would potentially be their counter argument for getting into the college football playoff. So at number six, I do have Tennessee. And let's also say that I have number seven, Alabama. So both these teams finish at 10 and 2 neither of them are in the SEC championship I could not tell you why the CFP has Alabama over Tennessee. It's honestly ridiculous. I understand that Hendon Hooker is hurt, and that's one of the very big reasons why that team was so good. And I get that statistically, even without Hendon Hooker, maybe Tennessee doesn't match up as well with Alabama. You can't act like Alabama didn't lose to Tennessee. I just, I don't understand the logic of picking and choosing when you take the head-to-head matchup into consideration. Like, if we have two 10-2 teams and the 10-2 and team beat the other one, but the one who lost is above them, then why even play the games? What's the point? I get you can make the argument that Alabama's two losses were very close, and none of them were at the caliber of that really out-of-nowhere upset to South Carolina. But still, you can't ignore the fact that one, Tennessee's two ranked wins are better than Alabama's, and two, they literally beat Alabama. So yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that, because I could go about that for hours. Tennessee at six. 
Alabama at seven. At number eight, I do have Penn State. Yes, they keep sliding up. They keep beating everybody who is not a top five team. So good for them. They beat Michigan State by 19. Abdul Carter had a phenomenal game with seven tackles, three TFLs, and two sacks. Same goes for Kalen King, who had four tackles, a TFL, five pass deflections, and an interception. Obviously, they are not playing this week. I did see something that the Rose Bowl committee may pick Penn State over Ohio State because Ohio State's been to the Rose Bowl like I think three of the last four years or something crazy. So we will see how that developed. At number nine, I have Washington. Why not bring the Huskies into the top 10, man? They beat Washington State, their rival, 51-33 in hostile confines. Washington State was up for most of the first half, but the Huskies came back 28-27 at the half, and then it was also 35-33 for a while, but Washington did score the last 17 points of the game to put it away. Michael Penix Jr. keeps his Heisman candidacy rolling with a 25 of 43, 485 yards, three touchdown performance. Oh, and he had two rushing touchdowns as well. His receivers had some very gaudy stat lines as well with Romeo Dunze at five catches, 157 yards and a touchdown and Jalen McMillan who had six catches, 150 yards and a touchdown. No conference championship for the Huskies, but hey, they should be in line for a New Year's Six Bowl. They should be very satisfied with what Kalen DeBoer has done in his first year in Seattle. At number 10, I do have Clemson and you can thank the CFP Hope Reaper for that. Spencer Rattler strikes again. Yes, they did lose to South Carolina at home 32-31. A very early pick six put Clemson up. The offense really screeched to a halt after that. DJ Uyungle was awful, man. He was 8 of 29. Rattler hit Antoine Wells Jr. for a 72-yard score that cut the lead to two, and then a field goal with 10 minutes left would be the final score of the game. So South Carolina up one. Despite all of the offensive struggles, they were going to have one chance late. Clemson's defense forces another punt. I believe it was back-to-back punts. At the two-minute mark, Clemson's defense forces a punt and true freshman Antonio Williams muffs the punt. Four Clemson fans start yelling at Antonio Williams. He's been your best receiver, and he's a true freshman, so I think he's well outperformed expectations. Cut the kids some slack. This was the error that officially ended the game. Spencer Rattler once again ends some CFP hopes, and what a turnaround his season has had. South Carolina finishes the year 8-4 and four heading into bowl season, and Clemson does have the ACC championship to play for against number 23 UNC. There's a lot less hype going into this game obviously just two weeks ago we had the potential of two potential cfp contenders meeting in the middle and now both of their chances are out the window and they're just going to play for an acc title nothing more at number 11 speaking of big upsets oregon wow 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 that was one of the craziest turnarounds you will ever see in a football game let's get into it oregon was running the game for the first three quarters oregon was up four at the half and then that lead became 31 to 10 after the beavers just couldn't get anything going offensively they had an interception fumble and three and out in three consecutive drives so jonathan smith said okay that's not working what if i never throw the ball again so for the rest of the game they don't throw the ball remember that after this philosophy switch oregon state had a four play two minute touchdown drive. Oregon then got a field goal on their next drive to make the lead 17. The Beavers had a huge kickoff return and then three plays later had another touchdown. Oregon goes three and out. 
The punter fumbles the ball. Oregon State ball far into Oregon territory. Another touchdown for the Beavers. Still no passes. And then once again, fourth quarter, Dan Lanning strikes again. He goes for it on his own 29 on fourth and one. At least Bo Nix was in the backfield this time. But once again, it's going to be a decision that costs them the game. It gets stuffed. Four plays later, Oregon State scores another touchdown. Beavers up by four. A 21-point swing in just seven minutes. You will never see something like that in the Civil War for many years, I guarantee it. Oregon still has a chance. They go all the way down the field, get to the two-yard line, but ultimately can't find the end zone. Oregon State holds, and after what is one of the most wild turns in a game you will ever see, Oregon State finishes 9-3 and three to complete what is probably Oregon State's best year since 2012. Shout out to Jonathan Smith and what a tumble from grace this has been for Oregon who was CFP contenders and then they lose two out of their last three games. So obviously the difference in this game was Oregon State's run game. They had 268 yards, five touchdowns, 6.2 yards per carry. At number 12, I do have LSU who had the most shocking upset of the week, losing to a hapless Texas A&M team. Yeah, if anybody thought LSU was a CFP team, team. I've been saying it for a few weeks, but no, they are not. And they proved it, man. They're losing to Texas A&M is not going to get you into the CFP. Texas A&M had a 17-10 lead at the half. LSU did tie it. The game flipped on a strip sack of Jaden Daniel, and after that, it was all over. The Tigers just couldn't stop Devin Achain, who was, you know, a preseason Heisman guy, but obviously without the team success behind him, that's not going to happen, but still a phenomenal day for him. He had 38 carries, 215 yards, and two touchdowns. Freshman Damani Richardson had a phenomenal game, 10 tackles. Tackles, two fumble recoveries, and a scoop and score off of that Jaden Daniels sack. The very end of the game, Jaden Daniels did get hurt, so his status is up in the air for the SEC championship. We'll talk more about that later. At number 13, I do have Utah, who took care of business against a very suspect Colorado team. Tavion Thomas no longer with the team as he's preparing for the NFL draft, so Utah's solution was to move freshman QB Jaquindon Jackson to the running back spot, and he excelled 10 carries, 100. 17 yards and three touchdowns. We'll see if that is the way they go against USC in the Pac-12 championship, but that's definitely a storyline to watch heading into that. We will talk more about that game later. At number 14, I do have Tulane. Yes, congratulations to Tulane. They went into Nippert Stadium, broke the 32-game home win streak that Cincinnati had, and may have been the final straw for Luke Fickle to leave. We'll talk more about both of those hires later. It was a very close game the whole way. Obviously, Cincinnati's starting quarterback, Ben Bryant, was out so it was up to Evan Prater, who in his first start really did struggle against a solid two-lane defense. Two-lane was up 13-10 to at the half, but briefly Cincinnati had the lead after back-to-back touchdowns by Ryan Montgomery, and that was only with six minutes left. But then Michael Pratt hit his favorite target, Deuce Watts, for a long touchdown, and that gave Tulane the lead right back. There was no more offense to be had from Cincinnati. They had zero first downs the rest of the way. Tulane went from losing to UCF and seemingly being out of the American race to being the number one team in the American and hosting the championship this week against UCF. So congratulations to them. 
done. And congratulations to Willie Fritz, man. You can't say enough about what he's done. Ty J. Spears, the American Offensive Player of the Year, was phenomenal. 35 carries, 198 total yards, and two touchdowns. Dorian Williams, the senior linebacker, obviously a huge part of this team. 12 tackles and a very key interception. At number 15, I do have Kansas State. They won their rivalry game against a pesky Jayhawks team who did have Jalen Daniels back 47-27. It was never too close. Kansas State had a 23-7 lead in the first quarter, but that was only a nine-point lead at halftime. Daniels did have a chance to cut it to one possession after a touchdown in the fourth quarter, but wasn't able to get the two-point, and that was as close as they would get. Kansas State does secure their spot in the Big 12 championship. We'll talk more about that matchup with TCU later. Deuce Vaughn had another phenomenal game, 25 carries, 229 total yards, and a touchdown. At number 16, I do have Florida State, who won their Sunshine Showdown against Florida, 45-38. I didn't move Florida State up too much because I don't think Florida's that good, but still, this game was phenomenal. It was back and forth the entire way. It was 24-21 Florida at the half, but then the Seminoles had a very big turn with 17 straight points to go up 14 going into the fourth quarter, but Florida was not done. They scored a touchdown, and then freshman Trevor Etienne had a 45-yard house call to tie it with just eight minutes to go. But Jordan Travis and Trey Brenson continued their phenomenal offensive performance, went down the field, and scored a touchdown. That would be the difference. So a very solid win for them. Jordan Travis finished with 270 yards and a touchdown, as well as 83 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, along with that very impressive highlight reel scramble for a touchdown. Definitely look that up on Twitter if you have it. Trey Benson, obviously the Oregon transfer, 20 carries, 162 total yards, and three touchdowns. So at number 17, I have Oregon State. Yes, I know we already talked a lot about that game so I'll keep it brief but man Jonathan Smith and the rest of that program should be so proud at number 18 I do have UCLA they've scraped by Cal 35-28 definitely wasn't too dominant of a performance they were down 21-10 early and they were also down 28-27 really late in the game DTR and Zach Charbonnet did buckle in and get the win DTR finished 21 of 30 189 yards one touchdown 85 yards on the ground two touchdowns as well Zach Charbonnet had 24 Four carries, 141 total yards, and a touchdown. It's going to be a sad day when that isn't the backfield combo at UCLA. They've been so much fun to watch together, man. At number 19, I do have Troy. They beat Arkansas State 48 to 19. It was a bit closer than that. Don't let the score fool you. It was 19 to 14 late in the third. 19-14 Arkansas State, by the way. Not even Troy, but Troy did buckle in have 35 fourth quarter points and that was all she wrote Kamani Vidal continues his tear through the Sun Belt with 33 carries 208 yards and four touchdowns Reddy Stewart had a great game with two tackles a pass deflection two interceptions one of them being a pick six that really put the game away Troy will have a chance to win the Sun Belt against nine and two Coastal Carolina we'll talk about that game later at number 20 I do have UTSA the Roadrunners who did secure their spot in the CUSA championship last week they did beat their rival UTEP 34 to 31. It was a bit of a blowout to start actually for the Miners who were up 24 to nothing, but that was all they could do offensively really. It was 24 to 14 at half and Frank Harris did have a 70-yard touchdown at the end of the third quarter to tie it. A chip shot at the end of regulation did end the game and give UTSA its second straight 10-win season. Frank Harris finished with 382 yards and three touchdowns, a phenomenal performance for this season from the Roadrunners and Jeff Trailer. They have 7 and 5 North Texas in the CUSA Championship. We will talk about that later. At number 21, Notre Dame. I'll keep it brief because we already talked about this game. A big opportunity for Notre Dame missed. They could have been a New Year's Six 
Bowl team if they've got this upset, but maybe a bit too early. It's only Marcus Freeman's first year, so it's not like the expectations were too crazy this year, but obviously a missed opportunity for the program. They played fine. Drew Pine actually played very well. At number 22, I have South Alabama. Yes, I think this is the first time I've actually ranked them. They're 10-2. and two. Their only losses are to Troy and a one-point loss at UCLA. It was a bit of a rough go of it against Old Dominion. Monarchs were up 20-13 to 13 at the half, but they couldn't get anything else going offensively. Carter Bradley added a touchdown pass in the third and fourth quarter to secure the best season in school history. Shout out to Kane Womack. He's already doing wonders at South Alabama. At number 23, I do have Boise State. They beat Utah State 42-23. to and Another score that's a bit deceiving. It was 21-7 Boise at the half. The lead was cut down to five with eight minutes to go, but freshman Taylor Green once again saves Boise with a 91-yard rushing touchdown that put it away. There was a pick six with 30 seconds to go. That's why the score looks like that. All in all, a great performance from Boise State. What a turnaround they've had this season. And they do have eight and four Fresno State in the conference championship. We'll talk about that later. At number 24, I do have South Carolina. Yes, the CFP Reapers themselves. Here they are. I had to rank them after all they've done these last two weeks. Obviously, the eight and four teams aren't going to have the best resume. You have two top 10 wins, especially in back-to-back weeks. It's going to give you a lot of credit. I might as well leave South Carolina in the rankings give them some prop and at number 25 my final team in the rankings I have North Carolina what a fall from grace from them they've lost their last two games they lost in overtime to rival NC State it's not too bad of a loss NC State's a very solid team but they were on their fourth quarterback man Ben Finley the walk-on gets it done he was incredible for a walk-on 27 of 40 271 yards and two touchdowns and Drake May I love you man you're a freshman you have a lot to learn you have a lot more really good football to play, but you can't get out-dueled by a walk-on. That's not going to win you the Heisman. May finished 29 of 49, 233 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. He also had a rushing touchdown. Not the best circumstances for UNC going into the ACC championship, but hey, maybe that's what they needed. Some pressure off their back. They've already taken enough steps back over the last two weeks. We'll see if they can keep it together against Clemson, or if they're going to lose three straight going into the bowl season. My honorable mentions, I have UCF, who is 9-3. and three. I have 8-4 and four Texas, 9 9 and 3 Cincinnati, 8 and 4 NC State, and 9 and 2 Coastal Carolina. With the rankings out of the way, let's look at the Heisman standings very quickly. After fighting with CJ Stroud for the lead over the last few weeks, Caleb Williams has seized the lead as the heavy favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. And behind him, it's not CJ Stroud, actually, it's Max Duggan in the second spot. So Duggan at number two, CJ Stroud is just a bit behind him at number three, and there's a big drop off after there. You have Michael Penix Jr., who's leading the country in passing yards, Stetson Bennett, Bryce Young, and Bijan Robinson, who's nearing 2,000 all-purpose yards and already has 20 touchdowns. Before I give you my picks for the conference championship games, let's go over all the coaching changes we've seen. There's been a lot going on. If some of this has slipped by you, do not worry. That's why you got me, right? So here we go. The coaching carousel will go in alphabetical order. So we'll start with Arizona State. Obviously, Herm Edwards was there over the last five years. Not too much success. Never had more than eight wins. He was fired after a home loss to Eastern Michigan. They have found their man and Oregon offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham will now be the youngest coach in FBS at 32. 
He graduated from Arizona State and has spent time as an OC and QB coach at Florida State, Auburn, and Memphis. He's done a lot of great works with quarterbacks. Look at what he's done with Bo Nix this year. Arizona State hasn't received their punishment from these sanctions regarding from the sanctions stemming from Herm Edwards' time here, but they still have a very good hire in Kenny Dillingham. I'm excited to see what he does here in Tempe. Next up, Auburn, who obviously fired Brian Harson after his home loss to Arkansas. He went 9-12 and in two years, and it has now been announced that Auburn will have Liberty's head coach, Hugh Freeze, coming back to the SEC. They gave him a six-year deal worth $40 million. Obviously, his biggest claim to fame, other than bringing Liberty back. At Ole Miss, he turned them into a powerhouse very briefly with big recruiting classes. He beat Saban twice in a row. Obviously, that's going to be a very big factor when hiring at Auburn. There's also been a lot of off-the-field stuff, man. I'll put it this way. There's too much smoke for there to not be fire. Uh, I'm just going to go over it really quickly. Hugh Freeze started his coaching career at Briarcrest Academy, a high school. There's a few different allegations, including some paddling and some inappropriate attention to to female students. You can look more into that if you want. At Ole Miss, he did have several recruiting sanctions, and there were also 12 calls to an escort service from a phone issued by Ole Miss. So obviously that's not good. And it continues at Liberty. There was a sexual assault lawsuit going against Liberty, and this accuser was on Twitter. Hugh Freeze DM'd her essentially yelling at her for talking about the case, but she didn't mention him or anything so he just went out of his way to find this and yell at this sexual assault victim so obviously there's a lot there uh many auburn fans are not happy and i don't really blame but i mean it's the sec i guess football is all that matters right i don't know that is an auburn's fan problem to deal with not mine so at charlotte they did fire will healy after his one and seven start this year he'd been 15 and 24 over four years they have hired Michigan assistant head coach Biff Poggy. I love that name. He was credited with being one of the big reasons for Michigan's turnaround over the last two years. He was also a high school legend, uh, 13 state titles in 19 years on the high school level. He's a heck of a recruiter, and I can't wait to see what he does with Charlotte. If I would love to see the 49ers be good, man. So Cincinnati, this job is still open. Obviously shocking that that has come to this with Luke Fickle leaving for Wisconsin. I will talk more about his reasoning for leaving, but as far as candidates to replace Luke Fickle, house they could stay with uh, Kerry Coombs or Gino Gujuli. Uh, some head coaching candidates they could look at are Matt Campbell of Iowa State, Jason Candle of Toledo, Sean Clark of Appalachian State, and maybe Deion Sanders of Jackson State. Some assistants they could look at are defensive coordinator of Wisconsin, Jim Leonard, offensive coordinator Alex Golesh from Tennessee, Defensive coordinator Jesse Minter from Michigan. So Colorado is still looking for their head coach. They fired Carl Durrell midseason. He started 0-5, and it's just not got a lot of momentum down there in Boulder. It has been reported that Deion Sanders has been offered the job, so I guess it's Deion's job if he wants it. If not, though, some other names we could see. Coaches are Troy Calhoun from Air Force. Brian Harson could be back on the market. Ricky Rain from Old Dominion and Jim McElwain from Central Michigan. Assistant-wise, we could see Eric Bieniemy, obviously a Boulder legend. We could see offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes from Baylor, offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren from Oregon State, or offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb from Washington. So FAU did fire Willie Taggart after never getting above five wins in
in his three years here. And it's been announced today, actually, that they are hiring Tom Herman, the former Houston and Texas coach. He's been off the sidelines for the last two years, but he is back. If anybody knows how to build a group of five program up to prominence very quickly, it's Tom Herman. Georgia Tech announced that they will keep Brent Key as their head coach. He obviously took over for Jeff Collins after their one and three start, and he led them to a four and four record over those next few games, including two huge road upsets against Pitt and North Carolina, of course, ending North Carolina's CFP bid. Nebraska obviously has hired Matt Rule, the former Panthers coach. He's getting an eight-year, $74 million deal, 90% guaranteed. He's built Temple and Baylor to prominence very quickly, so it'll be interesting to see if he can rebuild Nebraska, or if anyone can, if we're being honest. USF is still looking to hire a new head coach. They fired Jeff Scott after he went 4-26 over the last three years. Some potential candidates, Jason Candle at Toledo, Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, Sean Lewis at Kent State, Kane Womack at South Alabama, Dan Mullen could be brought back, Willie Simmons, who's had a great year at Florida A&M, and of course, Deion Sanders, who was kind of just a looming hawk on all of these jobs. Some assistants, uh, Jawan Sanders, the co-offensive coordinator from Penn State, Todd Monken from Georgia, Alex Atkins, the offensive coordinator from Florida State, and defensive coordinator Tony White from Syracuse. Stanford is now open after David Shaw retired. He's been 14-28 and 28 over his last three years, but he is Stanford's winningest head coach. Names we could see are Dave Clawson, if he wanted to leave Wake Forest, or maybe Mike Bloomgren, who's rising up the ranks at Rice. Some assistants we could see from the Harbaugh era, like Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator of the Ravens, or potentially co-offensive coordinator Sharon Moore from Michigan. At Texas State, Jake Spavadol is fired after 13 and 35 record in four years. He never had above four wins. G.J. Kine, the incarnate word head coach, is definitely going to be on their radar. So will Casey Keeler of Sam Houston State, David Bayless of Texas A&M Commerce, Justin Fuente could be brought back into the college ranks as well. Offensive coordinator Eric Morris from Washington State, offensive coordinator Phil Longo from North Carolina, offensive coordinator Graham Harrell from West Virginia, or offensive coordinator Major Applewhite from South Alabama. Also fired Philip Montgomery after seven years. He's been 27 and 43 over his last five. G.J. Kine could be in the mix there, so could Justin Fuente. Assistant-wise, we could see passing game coordinator Brennan Marion from Texas, or we could see defensive coordinator Barry Odom, or wide receiver coach Garrick McGee from Purdue. It's also possible that Matt Wells, the former Utah State and Texas Tech coach, could come out for this job. UAB has been looking for their answer after Bill Clark shockingly did retire earlier in the year, and they found their man in Trent Dilfer, of all people. Although this is not as suspect as a hire as you would think, he's been ahead of the Elite 11 QB camp for the last few years, and he spent the last four years at Lipscomb Academy. He is in the Tennessee State Championship today. Tim Lester was fired from Western Michigan after not making much of anything over six years, just being 37 and 32. Some other guys you could see are Sharon Moore. You could see Jay Harbaugh, the special teams coach from Michigan. Kenny Burns, the running backs coach from Minnesota, or wide receiver Minnesota coach Matt Simon, defensive coordinator Tim Banks from Tennessee, defensive coordinator Mike Tressel from Cincinnati, and defensive coordinator Trent Bray from Oregon State. So Wisconsin obviously did fire Paul Christ earlier in the year after that blowout home loss to Illinois, and they now have a replacement in one of the biggest fishes that I didn't even know was on the market. Luke Fickle obviously brought Cincinnati to a college football playoff. He's been given a seven-year year $55 million contract. Uh, I was confused as to why now, but it seems 
like Fickle was never too committed to Cincinnati, and he may have been enticed by the USC or Notre Dame job earlier in his career, but he didn't want to leave a college football playoff level team. And I certainly can't blame him. The timing is right now for him to go to Madison, so we will see where Cincinnati goes. Finally, the grand finale, the games you cannot miss this week. It's actually all of them. The stakes are the highest they can possibly be. The football will be amazing this weekend, I promise you. Let's dive into it. At number 10, I have the MAC championship between 7-5 and five Toledo, who's a 1.5 point favorite, against 9-3 and three Ohio. The reason Toledo is a favorite is because the MAC player of the year, Curtis Rourke, did tear his ACL. Ohio will be without their star quarterback, but I am still going to take Ohio and the Bobcat. C.J. Harris, the backup, looked phenomenal against a pretty good Bowling Green team last week, so I actually have pretty good confidence in Ohio's offense. Their defense is suspect, especially against the pass. They have one of the worst pass defenses in the country, but Toledo also won't be healthy. They may not have their starting quarterback, Daquan Finn, and the backup, Tucker Gleason, also broke his hand, so he's questionable as well. Toledo's lost their last two games. I don't trust the Rockets here. I'm going to take Ohio to win the MAC. 31 to 20. At number 9 in the CUSA, I have the 7 and 5 North Texas Mean Green taking on number 20 UTSA. UTSA is a eight and a half point favorite. It's always hard to pick against the Roadrunners and Frank Harris. This offense has been so explosive over the last two years, and that has definitely been the case over the last few weeks. I do think this will be close, though. The last time these two played, it was a very close game. UTSA only won by four, and they needed a very late touchdown to win that game. So I think that North Texas will keep this close. Austin on has been a very solid quarterback, one of the best in the conference. But I do think that the Roadrunners pull this out, and Jeff Trailer wins his second straight CUSA title. I'm going to say that UTSA wins 45-41. At number eight, I'm going with the Mountain West Conference Championship. Eight and four, Fresno State taking on number 23, Boise State. Boise State is a three and a half point favorite. It's been quite a turnaround for Fresno State. They started one and four, and once Jake Hayner got back, they have been phenomenal. They've won seven straight. The thing is, there's a lot to like about this Boise team. Obviously, their defense has been one of the best in the country. They actually have the second best pass defense in the country and Taylor Green the Mountain West freshman of the year has just been a revelation at quarterback the rushing duo between him and George Holani who is one of the best backs in the Mountain West he's like third in yards I really think Boise State's going to win their first conference title since 2019 I'm going to take Boise State 28-16 at number seven I do have the Sunbelt Championship nine and two Coastal Carolina taking on number 19 Troy Troy is an eight and a half point favorite and I think it's for good reason and we don't know if Grayson McCall will be playing, but this Troy defense, nevertheless, is one of the better units in the country. Obviously, Carlton Martial, one of the best linebackers in the country, the all-time leading tackler. Also, I feel like Troy really needs to get more respect, especially in the polls. They could literally be in line for that New Year's Six bid. If it wasn't for that Hail Mary against App State, they would be 11-1 and right now, and they would be in prime position, maybe even above Tulane. But obviously, that isn't what happened. But I really like Troy, and I really like Troy in this game. Kamani Vidal is playing like one of the best backs in the conference. Coastal has also had to deal with all of the rumors surrounding Jamie Chadwell. I think this is one that Sunbelt Coach of the Year, John Summerall, is going to take home. I'm going to take Troy to win 35-21. At number six, I have the ACC Championship between number 25 UNC and number 10 Clemson. 
Clemson's a seven and a half point favorite. You know what? Let's take a shot. Let's take North Carolina to win. Why not? I know that North Carolina has lost the last two games, but that's been because Drake May just hasn't played that well. We all know that North Carolina lives and dies with the pass because that defense just can't hold its water, but Drake May could come to play, and if he has his Heisman-type game, if he gets in a rhythm, there may be no better quarterback in the country. Cannot run the ball on Clemson. We know that. That front four is just dominant. They still are vulnerable against the pass. I think this is going to be the time that it really gets exposed. I think Drake May is going to have a field day against this secondary that's really struggled at times. I think Clemson's definitely going to look at this as a game they should win, and they may over. They'll get a few key turnovers, and I think that they're going to shock everyone and win the ACC for the first time since 1980. Let's go North Carolina, 42-27. to 27. At number five, I have the American Championship between 9-3 and three UCF and number 14, Tulane. They are currently a four-point favorite. This is a very hard game to pick. Obviously, UCF did beat Tulane a month or so ago. In that game, they ran all over the Green Wave's defense, so the real question is, can they stop that? Not so much worried about Tulane not scoring offensively. They will get about 20 points a game. We know that, but you just never know what UCF is going to show you know, sometimes you get the team that beat Tulane, one of the better teams in the country, and then sometimes you get the team that lost to Navy at home and then almost lost to a 1-11 USF team last week. I just can't trust that team. They may show up as that really good team and win the American, but I'm not going to trust them to do that. So I'm going to roll with Willie Fritz, Ty J. Spears, the Offensive Player of the Year in the Sun Belt, and I'm going to take Tulane to win 23-17. At number four, I'm going to take the Big Ten Championship between eight and four Purdue and my number one team in the country, Michigan. The odds are very stacked against the Boilermakers. If you have not seen, it does appear as though Aiden O'Connell will not be playing this week. Tragically, his brother passed away, so he's away from the team right now. The rest of Purdue's offense will need to pick up the slack, so you're going to need a very big day from guys like Charlie Jones and Devin Mockaby. And against the number one defense in the country, I just don't think that's reasonable to expect. Even with Blake Corum not being in this game or the rest of the season, I think that Donovan Edwards is a more than capable running back one option. I think that offensive line is still one of the best in the country, and J.J. McCarthy has only played better with more responsibility offensively. I do trust the Michigan Wolverines to win their second straight Big Ten championship. I'm going to take Michigan to win 34-10. At number three is the SEC championship between number 12 LSU and my number two team in the country, Georgia. They are a 17.5 point favorite. I'm going to take Georgia to cover here as well. I know I'm rolling with the favorites, but I, I think think I'm right here. Jaden Daniels, even if he plays, won't be 100%, and he's going to be running for his life against one of the best front sevens in the country, and LSU's offensive line has been more than suspect. It's been near impossible to run on Georgia's defense. So yeah, I am going to trust Georgia to win their second straight SEC title. I think they will win 31-7. to At number two, I have the Big 12 championship between number 15 Kansas State and number three TCU. TCU only a two and a half point favorite. The last time these two played, TCU did win 38-28. to It was a very close game, but Adrian Martinez did get hurt. Now it is completely Will Howard's team, so this is definitely a different Kansas State team. They're one that's been very hot. Deuce Vaughn obviously is so much to handle offensively. He's so versatile. But the reason they lost last game was because they had zero second half points. You need to play a full four quarters against this TCU team. That offense is so explosive, and that defense really tightens up when it's in a big moment. So I do think that this will be a close one throughout, but ultimately I think it'll be kind of similar with 
TCU pulling away late. Max Duggan has been playing phenomenal. He's second in the Heisman. Kendra Miller has been one of the best backs in the conference. Ultimately, I think that Kansas State's defense won't be able to hold up enough to give their offense a chance to come back. I am going to take TCU to win and cover. Go by a score of 42 to 35. And at number one, my number one can't miss game of the week. Please watch this game if you only have one to watch. Number 13, Utah, taking on number four, USC. USC trying to complete their CFP run. Of course, they're only lost to the Utes by one point. And the reason that happened is because Cam Rising had the game of his life. He played perfect. Cam Rising has not even been close to as good as he was in that game in any of the other games this season. He hasn't had more than 240 yards in a single game since then. Caleb Williams has shown that he will put up 300 yards and four touchdowns on any defense you see, so I will trust the Heisman freight. I will trust the Heisman favorite to get this done. I think USC is going to keep their momentum going and they are going to win the Pac-12 and secure their spot in the CFP. Let's go USC 38-24. We did it. That is all the college football you need to know going into conference championship week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Let me know if you did. Rate us on Spotify or wherever you're listening from. Follow me on Twitter for live college football and show updates. Find me at Jack Talk CFB. Come back next Thursday, and that's every Thursday, for a brand new edition of the One Stop College Football Shop. Until next week, I'm Jack Thompson. Enjoy your weekend.